0: You're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. If you would just continue in an attitude of prayer, just in an attitude of worship before the Lord, and you can be seated on. God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's our prayer, God. Make your name holy in our midst today. Hallowed, God. Make it glorified in our presence. God, we want to see you made much of as we open your words of Scripture today. Help us to exalt you in our preaching, God, in the study of your words. They are light to us, God. Father, as we enter this Christmas season, we, we want to know you. Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts. Give us a new way to think, a new way to feel, so what we do not know, teach us, God. What we do not understand, help us to understand. Give us wisdom. And where our understanding is wrong or incomplete, correct us, bring it to completion, make us into the people you want us to be, so our lives might bring glory to you. It is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, Wasn't that great worship time? Let's give God a hand for that. Being in our midst now, we don't we don't worship the band. They're not. They're just leading us, right? We're all the band. Uh, but I, I love this time of year. I love this worship. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I just love this time. Merry Christmas. Well, my name is Paul, and it's you never know when I'm going to bust out in song because I just love. Christmas time. Uh, If you're new here, glad that you're here. You just came to join us this Christmas season. Maybe you're visiting family or you're checking out this church, maybe thinking of making it your, your home. We would love that. Uh, I would love to meet you after the gathering today. I'll be right outside that door you came in after a gathering. I'd love to shake your hand if you're into that or bump elbows or stay six feet away from you and wave at you. Either whatever you want to do. At Bentry, we take the entire month of December, though. We celebrate the birth of Jesus as the Christ. Amen? That's what we do. We love the Christmas season because the meaning is so rich for us. I mean, the world really doesn't understand the depth of what we are celebrating in the birth of Christ. In our celebration of this season, we celebrate our God who takes on the flesh of a man We celebrate a God who comes into our messed up, fallen world to rescue us from the sin and death we're guilty of. He goes to the cross to pay the price that we are supposed to pay. Because we can't really separate the birth of Christ from the death of Christ and His resurrection. Amen? It's one story if you look at the timeline of the history of all of the world, Jesus coming to earth splits that timeline in two when before he came and after he came, where we live, almost like this mountain, this massive mountain that appears on that timeline of history, when he comes he 's born in a, and, and he lives this perfect life he 's killed upon a Roman cross as a sacrifice for the sins of those who would believe. Then he's laid in the tomb, dead, 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 but then raised to life again on the morning of the third day. He appears before his disciples and many others, and not just a handful, more than 500 people interacted with the risen Christ at one time. I mean, he we are celebrating that he not only died, was rose again, and he spent that 40 days, but then he went back up into heaven with the promise to come back and take the believers home and then to return and judge the living and the dead of the earth. That mountain of timeline, of history, of Jesus' life, we celebrate at Christmas because it is the very beginning of the single biggest event in everything. Everything. I mean, the world's history literally becomes His story. You see how it did that? History becomes His story, the story of God who loved us enough to put on the flesh of mankind and come to save us. A God who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. God, in His love for us, offers His only Son, Jesus completely as a gift, free of charge, out of his sovereign grace alone. Well, the series we begin today for Christmas is called The Gift. And certainly we see Jesus coming to earth to save us as a gift to us. Amen? Amen. All right, right. here's how we're going to do this. When I preach and I say amen, and it's a big amen, I need a big amen. Amen? Amen. Because for those that believe in the name of Jesus Christ, listen, Jesus justifies them. That means he forgives their sin, he gives them his righteousness. We call that the great exchange, and that's a gift. Ultimately, God's objective is not just that we, may not, that we would be made right with him on this earth but ultimately is our relationship with God in heaven for eternity. Our glorification is the way to say that will take place one day on the other side of this life to be in a state of perfect relationship. We say perfect communion with God through the mediator, Christ Jesus. Jesus takes our sin To the cross, pays our debt, and at the same time for those that believe in faith in Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus gives them his goodness, his standing before God the Father. What that means in function is that when God the Father looks at a believer in Jesus whose sins have not only been forgiven and has received also the righteousness of Jesus, God no longer sees the sin in a believer's life. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Now that's worth an amen. No, no, in fact, God sees a believer in Christ Jesus as his own child. Righteous. The baby, the baby born is that signification of that. It's the picture of us being born again, made new. That, my friends, is justification in a nutshell. Here it is. We're going we're to cover a lot today. So get your Bibles out. Let's get the Bibles out and then get something to write with. I'm going to give you a justification definition. You ready? You're going to have to write fast. Justification is a gift to those who believe in Jesus and is, look, a legal term. That means believers have been declared righteous before a holy God. It is an instantaneous one-time event. Write that down. Justification is a gift to those who believe in Jesus and is a legal term that means believers have been made, have been declared righteous before a holy God. It is an instantaneous one-time event. We refer to justification a lot of times as when we were saved. It's not based on our merit Certainly, we couldn't earn it. We're wicked, all of us, born into wickedness. But on Jesus' merit, it is a gift. The apostle Paul describes the gift of our salvation, our justification, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. This is one of those verses that should just be highlighted and memorized. Paul tells us, tells Christians, he says, for you are saved by grace through grace. Faith and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. What's the gift here? The Apostle Paul describes for us. Well, certainly, grace is a gift, but grace actually kind of means gift. I mean, the word grace means something given, not earned. But what Paul's talking about here. As the gift is actually faith. The Apostle Paul is reminding us is grace comes through faith. And faith is the gift. Paul is saying that faith is this gift that we cannot boast in because it was given to us. We spent a lot of time this fall carefully kind of studying the words of Jesus in in John chapter 3. Eventually in January we'll get to John 4. In John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you'll remember what it means to be born again, or what we also call regenerated, to be called out of spiritual death into spiritual life. To be born again was, we saw, to be born from above, above, to be made a child of God. One of my favorite all-time passages in the Bible is this one. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. If you've never read this, go home, study this. Check this out. Paul tells us, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the Firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also, look, justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now this is powerful. Look close at your own Bible and underline these words in here. Here's justification defined, isn't it? For whom God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. That's sanctification defined right there. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The elect, or to say the chosen of God. Your version may say the chosen, or the elect. In other words, God chose you. In whom he, what? Predestined, or another way to say it, those he chose in advance according to what? Your works? No. His sovereign purpose. We don't know. Those he called, he called, we can say he effectually called them. This is synonymous with our regeneration or our being born again. And, and whom he called, the, those he also justified. What is justified? He declared them righteous. That legal term. He says, look, although these people are wicked, I declare them righteous. It's a legal term. These also he glorified. Destined them to enjoy the perfect communion, perfect relationship, in other words, with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Perfect relationship with God as adoptive sons for eternity. Folks, that's Christianity. This is the joy of heaven. It's not streets of gold. It's not all these wealthy riches and all the food you can eat. All. It's not these mansions of glory. But listen, the riches of heaven is the ability to have this deep personal relationship with a holy God through Christ Jesus. That is the riches of heaven now, what we just covered here is what theologians call the links in a golden chain of salvation. You with me? Do you see the links in Romans eight? Write these down. this is important. The order is important. The golden chain of salvation number one, regeneration or being born again, just like you're Your own personal birth, you didn't cause this. You were just born. You go, I was born, right? You don't know why, you just realize you were. Justification, that led to repentance of sin and belief and following Christ. And justification, you were made right. These two happen in an instant, don't they? Justification, listen, you are wicked, worthy of hell. But he justified you. Sanctification. It leads to sanctification. This is the gift we're going to talk about today. And then finally, glorification. So, what are they? Regeneration or being born again, justification, sanctification, glorification. Regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification. This is salvation. All of it together when it's done. You go, when it's done, these four are all aspects of the gift. They can never be separated. This is the big picture view of salvation. It helps us to see how it all fits together. Let me see if I can give you a a good analogy of the golden chain of salvation. Raise your hand if you like to put puzzles together. You like puzzles? Okay. Anybody like them at Christmas time? We do it at Christmas time and on vacation. I like that too. Actually, I like to take the last few pieces and put them in. You know, that's that's what I like to do. BB is the puzzle putter together. And, and I like to find that last. I've been known to actually steal a piece early on and then wait until they're looking for it. I go, Oh, I got it right here. That's because I'm wicked and far from God in my heart sometimes. <laughs> If you want to put a puzzle together, what do you do? You open the box. You see the picture on the box? You open the box. You dump all the pieces out. You lay them all up so you can see the little color on the side, right? Bibi taught me you start with the outside pieces, the flat pieces. That way you can see the edges. I think that's pretty wise. She's pretty smart. And then she also says, now, you put the like colors together. And she says, Paul, don't force those pieces together. Because I go, that one's close, and I mash it in. And she goes, don't do that. Put, put all of the color together, and then we'll see how they fit together. Are you with me? You start putting all this together. You see that. Then what do you do? Well, you get that box top of the picture of the finished, what it will look like. You set it up, don't you? And you look at it, and you study it, and you think, why did she buy a 1,000-piece puzzle? I mean, this is we'll never get this done, right? But then you start putting the pieces together. You want to see what the finished puzzle looks like. You got all these pieces. Folks, this passage in Roman eight, Romans 8, the golden chain of salvation is like the box top. It is the picture of our finished salvation. Right now, here on earth, as we live, we try to put all these pieces together. We go, I don't know how this salvation thing works. In heaven, this is, this is what Romans 8, 28 through 30 is showing us what salvation will finally look like in the completion of it. Are you with me? Our regeneration, our being born again, our birth in Christ was brought to us by Jesus through the Holy Spirit of God. You and I didn't cause that. We couldn't have. Why? We were dead in our sins. We hated God. We're wicked. But in this series called The Gift, I want us to look at the wonderful gift from God that we may not think as a gift. Oh, but it is. It is the gift of sanctification. While we are here on this earth, this is where we live, how we're called to do life. Think about it this way. We can talk about our salvation being in the past tense, can't we? We were saved. We can talk about in current tense, we're being saved, and future tense, we will be saved. What we mean as we look at this golden chain or the order of our salvation our regeneration, we studied extensively back in John 3. Jesus calls it being born again. We are given faith to believe. That's what we read in Ephesians 2 8 and 9. We did not cause ourselves to be born again. We were born again because God calls us from death to life. And what happened? We believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord. We repented of our sin. We were given the righteousness of Jesus. Literally, we were made children of God because we were good enough. No, we're wicked. Literally, we were made to be children of God, we were given his righteousness, legal term, right? Declared righteous, made right with him. We became holy because God made us holy. Now, listen, here's what I want us to see with regeneration and our justification we could say we were what? Saved in the past tense, couldn't we? You say that all the time. I was saved. I was saved when I was eight. I mean, if you are a Christian now, you, were, you are saved, aren't you? This is yes, okay? If justification is our being saved from spiritual death and sin by Jesus, being given his righteousness, If justification is being given faith to believe and that leads to our repentance from sins and that belief in having our sins forgiven and the righteousness given to us from Jesus, that all happens, remember, in an instant, what is sanctification? Here it is. Write this down. Sanctification is the gift from God of gradually becoming more like Jesus. Jesus. Sanctification is the gift from God of gradually becoming more like Jesus. And where we can certainly see why justification is such a gift because we didn't cause it, it has our salvation. We were born again through no action of our own, we simply received the gift. We believed. But sanctification is just as much a part of the gift as our justification is. And like justification, it is from God. Sanctification is from God, from the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. Sanctification is also a work of the Holy Spirit, and the third member of the Trinity moving through us, just like justification, but different, where we didn't have the input before, we do in sanctification. Sanctification is us working through the power of the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus. So, if justification is our salvation in the past, sanctification is our salvation in the present. Present tense. It is the gift that we have been given for the moment that we are living in now. And now. And now. Now. And now, until Jesus returns, in sanctification, we are being saved. We are being remade. Now, if you're like me, for for years, I looked at this sanctification as this thing that I know I need to do. Like I know I need to grow in my faith. Like I would hear a good sermon from my pastor and think, hey, I need to grow in my faith. Sometimes, even oftentimes, I would have those close moments like worship like we just had or when the preacher would preach, I would even get emotional and tears would pour from my eyes and I would pray something like, God, I love you and you love me, but when I was unlovable and you gave me salvation, now I need to get serious about following you, Jesus. Have you ever had that? Maybe you had it earlier when we were singing. Like I would think, I need to read the Bible, and I need to pray more, and I need to cut that sin out. I know sin's bad, but I kept doing it. I would have this emotional deal, but then after a few days, I would simply kind of put it off. I distinctly remember thinking, I'll get serious about this soon, just sometime in the near future. Not, Not today, but sometime in the near future. I'll start to really try to grow in my spiritual life someday, someday soon. I'm not going to put it off long. I'll just do kind of the bare minimum of following Christ Jesus until then. But here's what happened. See if this relates to you. I would put it off until I got past, in my mind, whatever business thing I was working on or a project or when the kids were a little bit older. Over and over again, I would just put it off a little short term. Months became years. Me putting God off of putting his gift away of growing into be made more like, I just left the gift of sanctification kind of under the tree, if you will, unopened. Here's the warning for Christians that keep putting the gift of sanctification off. God will keep up the pressure on you and turn up the heat. He'll let all kinds of stuff pile up. Health stuff, business stuff. You'll be unhappy, depression. Life will get hard until you, you turn your heart fully to him. By the way, that's love. Doesn't feel like it though, does it? Because, because God loves us so much, he won't let you stay an immature Christian. He doesn't want you stuck in your spiritual growth. And listen to me. Like, I love you. I see some mature people. Most of you in the audience, immature, not growing in your faith. Everybody's kind of afraid to look at me. For me, it was always a series of crises that kind of piled up in my life. I was, I was just finally overwhelmed. I couldn't, I couldn't get stuff to work, anything to work. I mean, in the world's eyes, I was successful. But it's like God said, until you start following me, Paul, with your whole heart, I'm going to let stuff happen to you. I'm going to let you be overwhelmed, and you can't handle it. Now, don't get me wrong. I was a Christian. I was trying to be a good person, but I wasn't following Jesus like I should. I had allowed sin to creep into my life in areas, and I certainly wasn't pursuing a deeper relationship. I was just kind of trying to keep it all even, you know what I mean? I'd made the commitment to begin to follow Jesus, to daily study his word, to daily pray, to never miss church, to plug in and serve at a deeper level, even when it was monotonous kind of serving. And then I tried to cut sin out as best I could, although I screw up every day, still do, still sinful. And you know what happened after I started to do that? After a little while, I started to grow my faith. Life wasn't any easier. In fact, this is a hard sales piece, trying to get you to become a Christian. In fact, when you commit to Christ and really start following, things get much harder, much harder. But as I began to grow in my relationship with Jesus, I learned to rely on him more and more. So the storms of life actually became opportunities to grow in my faith. You could say my faith muscles began to grow. I began to mature in my walk with Christ. Now listen, I'm far from being done. After years of actively following Christ, you see... How you can help other people grow. That's what I started to see. How help, help them grow in their faith. I mean, through my church, I, was, I di- was discipled by my pastor. Other men came into my life. I began to disciple those around me. Obviously, years and years, God called me into ministry. But for years, I was like, well, like what we would call a D3 group leader. I was going, well, I'm a, a stockbroker, but I'll help you uh, in your faith. I'll just show you what I do. It's not to say that everyone should be a full-time pastor like me. I mean, no, each and every one of you have a specific call on your life, what God has called you to do. We're a body. Your gift is no less important than mine and vice versa. But it, it is to say that every Christian is called to grow in their faith, to be sanctified and become a disciple maker. But the truth is, most so-called Christians leave the gift of sanctification like unopened, like a dusty gift under the tree, still wrapped. People go, I love that gift, and that they never open it. This is where Christians that are still immature in their faith find these two confusing, justification and sanctification. So let me see if I can help you make sense of this. By the way, this is where a lot of you struggle with Reformed theology, Reform doctrine because you confuse these two pieces. For those that have been saved, we speak of being justified, don't we? But when we speak of sanctification, we are still being made like Christ Jesus, being made new. So we can speak of our salvation or our sac- sanctification as this believers in Jesus Christ are simultaneously both righteous and sinner. Oh, please hear this. We have been declared righteous because of Jesus' blood. And we still struggle with sin every day, even though we're forgiven of it. Believers in Jesus are simultaneously righteous and sinner. And like we just wrote down, sanctification, it's this gradual process, a lifelong process. Now, why talk about this at Christmas time. Are we like supposed to preach about the virgin birth and baby Jesus and the manger and the the you know the wise men coming and the shepherds? We've done that and we'll do it again. What a wonderful time of year as we celebrate the birth of a baby born king of the universe, Jesus Christ. But so many times for Christians or people who have been told they were Christians because they have have some kind of knowledge, some head knowledge about the birth and the death of Jesus, but aren't really saved at all, Christmas can become this thing we do to kind of get our card punched. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because this is what we call the creasters. They'll come in a few weeks. The Christmas and Easter crowd. Like the Christmas story, sometimes for people, becomes simply a box they check and they, they say, Oh yes, I'm a Christian because I celebrated Christmas. I held a candle and I sang Silent Night and I gave my friends gifts and, and we sang some songs from my childhood. I had this warm feeling. But in reality, I would venture to say that most people that call themselves Christians and most people that celebrate Christians' Christmas are not Christians at all. They know about Jesus. But they do not have a saving relationship with Jesus as both Savior and Lord. They may have a form. They may have a function for Jesus in their idea of how you do life. Like they try not to use any four-letter words around the kids, right? Steal from work. Try to be generally a good person. But that's not really what Jesus came to do with people's hearts. For those in Scripture and for those, listen, throughout history, the real Christians had a radical change when they met Jesus. What I mean is their lives were different than before. And where, yes, we are saved in an instant, when we are given faith, we are born again, justified before a holy God. That's not where it ends, though. It's where it begins. The gift of sanctification we're celebrating this Christmas season is inextricably linked together with our justification. Those two parts on the link of the, the chain of salvation. And then they link together to form the golden chain which someday will result in our glorification sanctification, the work of God through the Holy Spirit, that we gradually become more like Jesus in the way we live out our lives, the way we relate to God and to each other. We forget the process of sanctification. As we tell the gospel story of Jesus coming to the earth, yes, he saves us. Yes, he gives us his righteousness. Yes, we are justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. But the cold, hard truth is it is a process of sanctification is the proof that we are saved. That we actually have been justified before a holy God. Is your life different? Now what we are not, not, not saying is that we are gradually saved through sanctification. No, no, no. Do you hear me? No. No. Wrong. This is a mistake Roman Catholics make. They reverse justification and sanctification. Boom. They regard justification being inherently righteous before God as as the fruit of sanctification which depends on working of works in their life. Roman Catholicism has now been now more than 500 years, a system of trying to earn salvation through works that you do. Making God respond to our good works. God, you will save me because I'm doing this. Wrong. The sacraments, especially the act of doing penance, becomes this way to earn salvation in the Roman Catholic mindset. And it's wrong. 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 Did I tell you it's wrong? Now, you might get a little uncomfortable with us pointing out the bad doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. And and you might think, well, Paul, that's like unloving. But in actuality, I assure you that it is the most loving thing that we can do. It is to lovingly point out our Roman Catholic friends and say, look, here's where we go. Not your bad doctrine." We always have to remember that sanctification, listen to me, listen, sanctification adds nothing to our justification. So if it's true, what is the benefit of sanctification then? If it doesn't add anything to our justification, man, we could just preach a year right here on this topic, and you know I'm telling the truth could mean a number of things. But we could say our sanctification is so we're more like Jesus. And yes, that would be true. It's so we can mature in our faith. Yes, that would be true. That's all good stuff. Don't disagree. But the sanctification is also a gift that we can use right now of us being saved. Now, why does God do that here on earth as we have to fight sin every day? Because can we just agree this place here? This is a hard place to grow our faith. I mean, earth. I mean, why not just take us to heaven when we are justified? Instantly, he could make us like Jesus in heaven. Like we'd be done with it. Like I'd vote for that. Wouldn't you vote for that? It's like, let's just go home now. On the surface, it seems like a great idea, doesn't it? That said, it begs the question then again, why sanctification? Why this gift of sanctification? It's like, well, put, Jesus, we don't really need it. We'll be like you in heaven. Why get the gift here? Why open the gift now? Why do we need this link in our salvation chain? I think we find the answer to that question in Jesus' own words. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you, talking to Christians, you are the light of the world. The city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This world, right now, before the end, is getting darker, isn't it? You don't have to... Go very far once you leave this place to find some serious evil. Just like when you walk into a dark room, what's the first thing you do? You reach in, turn the light on. God in his infinite wisdom has caused us to become a light like Jesus. He has placed each and every one of us very strategically in the world where we live. And to be like Jesus, listen, you have to be like Jesus. Sanctification is the gradual process of becoming more like Jesus, to let your light shine. But that doesn't even begin until we're regenerated and justified before God. When we are born again, when we are regenerated, when we believe Jesus to be the Son of God, as the world sees us, Christians, changing, growing in our faith, becoming more like Jesus, they begin to see the light of Christ Jesus it is then they begin to either be drawn to the light of Jesus or repulsed by the light of Jesus in our lives. What I'm saying is that God is revealed through our sanctification. He is glorified, or we can say he's magnified, or we could even say he's just made much of in our life. Like you go, that guy, that girl, they live for Jesus. Now think about this. As the world watches individual Christians up close, how they interact with other people, how they go through the ups and downs of life. They see through Christians go through the the hard times, through the struggles of this fallen world. They see how Christians react. They they see spiritual fruit in real Christians' lives. Think about it. They see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, a real humbleness, a genuineness. The world around Christians that see that, the people watching these Christians know that kind of fruit is not something that's normal. And they want to know why Christians have that kind of stuff. And these people of this dark world are either drawn to God because of the sanctification going on in a Christian's life, or listen, they're repulsed by it. Does that make sense? But what happens when someone claims to be a Christian but doesn't do what the Bible clearly teaches? What happens? God's not glorified. There's no light. A false picture of God is shown to the world and people are not drawn to God. They go, what is that? Just like everybody else. A worry that all good pastors have is that the people who sit under their preaching have a false Christianity. Like, what I mean is that you might look like a Christian and even talk like a Christian, but that you are, in fact, hellbound, lost in your sins. That sends ice water down my veins. The The gift of sanctification that we are celebrating this Christmas season is a gift because if you are saved and are being saved, it will show in how you live your life. Now, the... Not that you won't mess things up. Not that you won't stumble and sin. That's not what I'm saying. You're going to stumble in sin every day. But you will strive to follow the teachings of Jesus. Remember, Christians are not perfect. They're just forgiven. Simultaneously forgiven and yet still messed up in how they act. Now my goal in this series is not to make you doubt your Salvation. That's not it. But what I do want you to do is to examine your salvation in light of the way, listen to me, you actually live. Test your salvation out. See if it's real. I mean in your everyday lives as as we look at our conversations, the way we treat others, especially the ones we say we love, the way we treat the people around us that we don't know. The way we spend our time, spend our money, spend our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul tells Christians this. He says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. He's saying, test yourself to see if you're saved. Examine yourself, or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? We test our faith because we want to see if it's real. We want to see our faith grow and we want to become all that God wants us to become. And more importantly, we want that true relationship with God through all eternity, both here on earth right now and in heaven for all eternity. We as Christians want our lives to bring glory to God. And we want people to see that, especially those closest to us. So we ask, is there a way for us to step out of our me suit and like look back at ourselves and say, am I representing Christ in the way I live? Because here's what I've been guilty of as a Christian. I, I think I'm saved. I'm justified before God. Yes, Jesus died for me. My sins are forgiven. So now I can simply live the way I want to live. Have you done that? Yes, you did. My sins, past, present, future, are forgiven. So I would think, so if I sin, I don't have to worry about the consequences of my actions. Now, next week, we're going to dive deeper into this Christmas gift of sanctification with the question that the Apostle Paul asked in Romans 6. It's a question that so many Christians ask, and I would venture to say all of us have asked it at one time. If Jesus has paid for my sins and I have his righteousness, can't I just keep sinning and sin even more? I think asking this question is going to really help us out in our faith, growing it, so we grow closer to God and the ability to bring glory to God. Well, Earlier, when we talked about the golden chain of our salvation laid out for us in Romans chapter 8, remember how we talked about our salvation can be talked about in past tense. Do you remember that? That we were saved in the past and our new birth in Christ, our justification, we were born again. Born from above, often when a Christian gives their testimony of becoming a Christian, they say things like, when I was saved, they're talking about that day they realized who they are in Christ Jesus, the day they believed. And today in this series, as we have been examining this gift of sanctification, sanctification is really the present tense of our being saved right now. It is the sovereign God working in us through the power of the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to shape and mold us right now into the image of Christ, using all the the good, the bad, the ugly that the world has. In sanctification, we are being saved, present tense. But remember, the last part of the golden chain of salvation is glorification, regeneration, justification, sanctification. Glorification. One day, this life will be over, praise God. We will be made complete in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean that we stop growing in our faith, even in heaven. That messed some of you up, didn't it? But what it does mean is that we will grow in our relationship with Jesus even faster, in true freedom, because the weight of sin and death that we carry now will be gone. Temptation will be gone for that matter. Sanctification will be over and glorification will begin. Our salvation will be made complete. Or or we could say that not only that we were saved, past tense, regeneration, being born again, our justification, and that we are being saved in our sanctification, present tense, but that we place our hope in Christ Jesus in the future because of what God has done for us. We will be saved. Glorification. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, this is our hope, glorification. This is the box top to the puzzle. This is our joy. When life is hard, we say, praise God, look where I'm going. This is our faith right now. Our future glorification in heaven for all eternity to be in a relationship with God without sin. Without temptation, without death. Because we cannot see the reality of heaven. That's why we call it faith. We can't see heaven right now. But that faith we have right now, that is a gift from God to believe. Even though we can't see it, we will, that faith will become sight one day. When Jesus returns to take us home. Let me leave you with an encouraging verse as we grow in our faith and our sanctification. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. This is a New Testament book. Verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we also have such a large crowd, a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run the race... Run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Where's Jesus? Heaven. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us run the race. In other words... Let us live our lives in such a way that we have our eyes set on Jesus. Our future glorification, our relationship with God for all eternity. That's where we let our thoughts lie. We let them lay right there on Jesus. But what holds us back? What does it say? What are the hindrances? What is the sin that ensnares us? I'm asking you to ask yourself... Well, we know that sin holds us back. One of the Holy Spirit's main functions in the life of a believer is to point out the sin in our lives. Even though we're forgiven of it, the Holy Spirit points that sin out. In sanctification, one of the battles we face daily is that we are to put to death the sin that comes into our lives. We go to war against it. How do we do that? We repent of it. We turn our our attention back to Jesus. We turn our back on the sin and what Jesus taught us and how he taught us to live in the Bible. We throw off our sins. We get rid of them. We put them to death. We execute them, whatever you want to say. But that's not all, is it, he said. To run this race, that's not all. What was the first thing it said to do running the race with the eyes on the prize? He said, to lay aside every hindrance. Now that isn't necessarily talking about sin, is it? We know that because it talks about sin in the next verse. So what are those things that hinder our race, our following Jesus, that slow us down? This is going to hurt, brothers and sisters, pull your toes back. It can be good stuff. Good at least in the world's eyes. It can be our work, our jobs. It could be our sports, our kids' sports. It could could be our pastimes. It could be the Broncos. You see, those aren't necessarily bad things in and of themselves, are they? But if something is keeping us from running the race, Hebrews says, lay it aside, throw it off. It could be your phone, ouch. It could be TV. Double ouch. As we enter our time of prayer now, I wanted to invite you to do some investigation into your own heart. Don't let this time slip by. If you want to kneel during this time, you can kneel. Go ahead and just enter a time of prayer. You can stand if you want to stand, or you can stay seated if you want to stay seated. And you can open your eyes or you can close them. Just be in an attitude of prayer. But what I want you to do is to pray and ask God to reveal the condition of your heart right now. For our shepherding elders in the service, if you don't mind, I'd I'd like you to come uh, down front, uh, just right here on the sides and come in front of the trees and stuff and to the sides, if you guys would come down. These guys are going to come down and pray with you. They'll answer questions if you want to talk about that, or they'll simply pray for you. You may not be able to verbalize what you need prayer for. Just say, pray for me. At any point in this time of prayer that I'm about to initiate, you can go and pray with any of these men. They're going to pray over you right now as a church as well, just as they're waiting. As you come up and meet with them, share with them what you're struggling with or how they can pray for you. You see them? Let's pray. God, our Father, we come today as a body of believers, each unique. We come to you as a group and pray together. We pray that you would make us into the church you want us to be. But God, at the same time, we know that this group, this body of believers, is made up of individuals, your children, your son or or daughter, God, I pray right now that you would help us in our understanding of where we are in our hearts before you. Right now as individuals, speak to each and every person here. We're gonna take just a a few quiet moments together. Musical play as you pray. Ask God the condition of your heart. Right now. Think back on the scripture that we read today. Maybe you read some of that, those passages again. Let God speak to you through the words in the Bible. Here are the things I want you to pray for. First, I want you to ask the question, am I saved? Ask God that. Have you been born again? Is there evidence of you being regenerated? Have you repented of your sins? Have you begun to follow Jesus? That's the first thing. If not, simply believe in Jesus. Trust him as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to give you some moments to pray. Second thing for you Christians, what things in your life are holding you back in the race you're running right now? What is slowing or even stopping your growth in Christ, your sanctification? Is it your business, your job? Is it your time management? Is it sin that you've let creep into your life? Is it something you need to start doing, like starting to come to church and quit making excuses? Is it praying and studying the Bible every day? Maybe you need to take the step of joining a D3 group and beginning that disciple relationship with a group of other people that can help you grow. Maybe the next step is you getting baptized to show the world that you are unafraid to be known as a real, honest, goodness Christian. Ask God to reveal that to you. You can come pray and ask these guys, too, to pray for you. Then the last thing I want you to pray is this. God, would you help me to run the race by helping me keep my eyes on heaven? Keep my eyes on that glorification to come, that one day I will live in the perfect relationship with you, God, in heaven. Pray that now, just in your own words. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bent Tree Church. To get connected at Bentree and for more information, please visit bentreechurch.com.